Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Stan Gale, and I am the substitute preacher for Max this morning. Put that there. Our text today, uh, we're finishing out the book of James, and our text begins at verse 13. James chapter 5, reading at verse 13. Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is The Prayer of Faith. Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we draw near to you now as we open your word. We pray, O Lord, that you would feed us, that you would teach us that we might know you better, that you would direct our steps in the way of righteousness for your name's sake, that we would know our great God and Savior Jesus Christ better and that we might go forth in this place filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. About a week ago, I played doubles with three other guys, and it was a beautiful day. Two of the guys uh, rode their motorcycles, uh, and it was that kind of day when just wanted to be outdoors, enjoying it. And we played on clay, at a country club that one of the men uh, belonged to. Had a great time. Well, later I received a text that one of the men uh, riding a motorcycle had had an encounter with a deer. I'm not sure whether he hit the deer or the deer hit him. But he was, uh, the, the text said that he was in the hospital. And no broken bones, uh, but a head injury. And as of that text, he had not yet regained consciousness and was heavily sedated with a breathing tube. And the one texting asked for prayer. And we do that too, don't we? When we are facing need, when we've got a big test in front of us, when we are dealing with health issues, when we have relationship struggles, we ask for prayer. But let me ask you, 
Does prayer make a difference? Would there be any difference in what happened to that man riding the motorcycle if we had not prayed? Does prayer make a difference? This morning, uh, James brings his letter to a conclusion and he closes in prayer. He doesn't close by praying. He closes by teaching us about prayer. In the passage that I just read, in verses 13 through 18, in each one of those verses, there is mention of prayer. So our God wants to teach us about prayer this morning. James answers this question, why pray? Why pray? And he provides for us three reasons. First, we pray because God directs us to pray. We pray because God directs us to pray. In his letter, as we've worked through it over these several weeks, we've seen James mention suffering a great deal. He mentions persecution and trials and affliction. Now, what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves going through adversity? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. James is saying that in our distress, and we are feeling so hopeless, helpless, what we are to do is to cry out to our God who invites us to cast our cares upon Him because, as James described Him earlier in this chapter, in verse 11, He is a God full of compassion and mercy. He is the God for whom nothing is impossible. And are we suffering? Let us pray. Now, what should we pray for? When we're going through difficult times, what should we pray for? Well, I think the place to start is what was mentioned earlier by Matt. What's on our hearts? What are we struggling with? What is the need at hand? How are we responding to that need with our fear or whatever it is? And we take these things and we bring them before our God. Grant asking Him for relief, for strength to handle whatever it is. But as we've gone through the book of James, I think that we've learned some other things that God wants us to seek Him for in times of distress. James began his letter by saying that, uh, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. And so we need to pray. Because that's not natural. It's not natural to, to rejoice in trials. And we say, Lord, I know that I need to rejoice. I know you want help me to do that. Show me how. Remind me why. Or we might pray that God would grant us peace amid turmoil. Again, that's not natural. 
We might pray that God would give us wisdom. James has talked a lot about wisdom. We pray that God would give us wisdom in the face of our suffering to navigate the the difficult time for the glory of our God. Remember back when when we looked at... uh, looked at praying for wisdom in the face of trial, the part of that wisdom was uh, that, uh, that we would not waste our trials. That God has brought this to our plate so that He could do His sanctifying work in us. Strengthen our faith. Draw us closer to Him and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray that God would grant us wisdom that that might be accomplished. We might also pray that God would protect us from our enemy, the devil. We've seen that Satan wants to impose himself to take our eyes off of God, to draw us within ourselves and lead us to despair. So we might pray that the Lord would protect us, would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But there are other ways we might pray. You know, when we look at Scripture, Scripture is full of prayer. And many of those prayers, maybe all of them, can be used as templates for us. Templates to guide us in our prayer. We just read one this morning. The prayer of King Jehoshaphat. Here here are this vast army at their doorstep. And Jehoshaphat stood before the people. He mobilized it, brought them together, and he lifted their eyes to the heavens and he prayed, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them, this great horde? And you see what he's saying there? God, will you not intervene? Will you not stand in the breach between us and the enemy, whatever it is that is assaulting us. And did you hear what he prayed? That's the prayer, and then he gives the reasons. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, our God. Or the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with prayers that cover the gamut of life's experiences. And what I encourage you, when you're going through something, look through the Psalms and find one that captures your need, that captures your voice. And use it not just as a prayer itself, but as a template for prayer. But prayer is not reserved only for those times of suffering. Prayer is not reserved just for the troubles of life. Look at verse 13 again. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You see, when the seas of our lives are calm, when we are enjoying a season of peace, when our cup overflows with abundance, we are to pray then as well. And actually, we kind of pray with a tune, don't we? Because we're to put our prayer 
to tune, to a melody, to sing praise to our God, to look to Him in these times, to see His goodness, to count His mercies. And we are to sing songs of celebration and gratitude to our God for His blessings. Prayer is an expression of fellowship with the God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what that means is if there is a reconciled relationship, when we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Lamb, that means this. It means that we live life, all of life, in all its vicissitudes, in dialogue with God. In other words, in our lives, as we live before our God, there is a holy murmur, holy murmur in our heart, a holy murmur with our mouth as we talk to our God, saying praise and thanks and forgive me and whatever else it might be. But prayer is not just for the individual. It is for the individual. But it's not just for the individual. It is, prayer is a dynamic of the community of faith. The church. James brings this to bear in two ways. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then down in 16, verse 16 we say, and pray for one another. God, when He saves us by His grace through faith in Christ, we're not on our own. He enfolds us into a local community, a people of faith, a family of faith, the church. And in that church, God raises up elders. Elders, officers of the church, who have this as their main job, to shepherd the sheep under their care. Now, how do elders do that? How do they shepherd the sheep? Primarily through ministry of prayer and the Word. Ministry of prayer and the Word in public forums, like right now, I'm ministering the Word to you publicly from this pulpit Earlier, we were prayed for, led in prayer publicly, but also privately. Prayer in the home. Prayer where elders rush to the side of those in need. Now, in verse 14, it says that, uh, why, let me ask, why did the elders go to the sickbed to pray for that person? Why did the elders go to the sick bed to pray for the person? Couldn't they have just, when they got the text that, that uh, someone was ill, someone was uh, in bed sick, stuck at home with coat, whatever it might be, couldn't, they, couldn't the elders just have prayed on their own? Couldn't, couldn't they have prayed together in the off church office at a session meeting why go to the bedside to pray 
Why do they need to pray on location? I think the answer is this. It's to give the person they are praying for hope by lifting the eyes, lifting the attention of that sick person to the God who is with them and the God who is an ever-present help in trouble. You know, you can pray for people, but it's a good idea often to let them know you are praying for them. Not only does it give opportunity for further discussion and follow-up, but it lifts their eyes to the God who is able. Now, James mentions here anointing with oil. I don't think that's a medical action. I think it's a spiritual action. Why? Because it's done by the elders of the church, and it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oil was a spiritual symbol. So in verse 14, we see the spiritual care of the elders through prayer. And in verse 16, we see the responsibility that we all have to pray for one another. We can pray in general for one another. It's good practice even to Take the church directory and pray through it each, each day. Some cases you won't, know the, you won't know their need, but you can pray that they will grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Or if you do know their need, you can take that need and lift it up to the Lord on their behalf. We pray because God directs us to pray. The second reason for why pray is we pray because God has given power to prayer. God has given power to prayer. James moves on from talking about, um, from giving a call to pray, moves on to prayer itself. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So James, what he does is he spotlights the the range of what we're to pray for. We're to pray for both the physical and the spiritual. The physical and the spiritual. And often there is overlap. A classic example Classic example is David in Psalm 32. David had sinned. This is what, listen to his prayer and listen to how it's affected him physically. Listen, Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In this section, I'm sure there are a lot of questions we could ask of the text, ask of James. I want to raise two questions of what he tells us about prayer. Two questions raised. 
First is this, what is the prayer of faith? What is the prayer of faith? Is the prayer of faith some specific prayer? Or is it some specific kind of prayer? Kind of like a different species of prayer? Is that what the prayer of faith is? Well, the prayer of faith is simply believing prayer. It's like what James talked about when we began the letter in chapter 1, when James said, let him ask in faith, believing prayer. And we've seen that the overarching theme of James' letter to us who are pilgrims, the overarching theme has to do with faith. Faith is the quality of God's workmanship of grace in our lives to unite us to Jesus Christ. When God brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, He gave us faith. Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to embrace, minds to know. All because of faith. When James speaks of the prayer of faith, he is referring to believing prayer that knows God, seeks God, and that believes that God hears and answers prayer. And what that means is this. When we pray, we don't simply ramble. We don't simply rattle off words. The believing prayer, the prayer of faith, means that when we pray, we make eye contact with God in all His glory, in all as He has revealed Himself to be. We make eye contact with this God who is our Father, and we draw near in full assurance, believing that He invites us to cast our cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. We believe that. All right, the second question. Where does prayer get its power? Where does prayer get its power? Does uh, the power of prayer come from how much faith that we have? Maybe you've had someone say that to you. Where they've said, you know, you're praying for your sick child, but your sick child is not being healed because you don't have enough faith. Have you heard that before? But what did Jesus say about faith? He says, if you have a faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's not the amount of faith, it's the presence of faith. The faith of the believer. Does prayer find its power in our righteousness? It does say in the end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. But a righteous person does not describe the amount of clout that we have before God. It does not describe the amount of credibility that we have before God by how good we are. A righteous person is simply a description of a believer whose righteousness is found fully in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. And the righteous 
are His people. So where does prayer find His power? James has told us throughout the letter where prayer finds its power. The power of prayer is not found in the prayer itself by the right, using the right words, using the right theological terminology, saying it eloquently enough. It's not found in repetition, saying the prayer over and over and over again as though we needed to get God's attention. The power of prayer is not found in the one praying, as though I, as a pastor or the elders, have a better access, a more direct access to God. No. Prayer finds its power in the decree of God. Prayer finds its power in the decree of God, His eternal purpose that enfolds our prayer as means to His ends. The decree of God, the eternal plan of God, enfolds our freely offered prayers freely offered, faith-filled prayers and folds them as God's means to God's ends. And James made that clear when he said, remember planning in pencil? Remember that message? Remember that text? It says, why, does, why do things happen? Because God has made it clear that it, it, is, it is His will that determines what happens and what will not So James is telling us that our faith-fueled prayers are effective for the accomplishment of God's purpose because God has designed it that way. All right, we pray because God directs us to pray. We pray because God has given power to prayer. And then the third reason why pray is we pray because God uses our prayers. God uses our prayers. Once again, James is great at this. James wants us to, uh, helps us to understand what it is that he's teaching by holding up for us an example. He does that here. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. All right, what did, he hold, James holds up Elijah as an example. What does he want us to see in Elijah? Well, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who had the unenviable task of ministering the Word of God to the apostate northern kingdom of Israel. Northern kingdom of Israel uh, was ruled by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And what had happened under their watch is that the entire nation had become apostate. They had turned their back on the living God, the God who, whom they knew, the God who rescued them from Egypt, the God who had been with them. They had turned their back on the living God to follow after idols, and they engaged in Baal worship, worship of a God that was not a God at all. And that was Elijah's job, was to minister the Word of God in a very thankless way to this apostate nation. 
Well, the account James is referring to is recorded in 1 Kings 17 and 18, where God um, withheld the rain and he led to a drought. And that led to famine because there was no water or there are no crops. And then after a period of time, God gave rain and brought relief. And what James wants us to see is this. God is the one who stopped the rain. And God is the one who sent the rain. But he did so. He did so in response to the prayer of Elijah. God, on his own, could have sealed the heavens so there was no rain. God, on his own, could have brought rain without prompting. But he did so through prayer. And God is showcasing for us prayer as the means by which he acted. Now, at first glance, using Elijah as an example might not be a super big encouragement to us. It's kind of like saying, uh, here you pick up a tennis racket and you say, you know, a professional tennis player can uh, hit a 130 mile per hour serve. And you go, yeah. You know, Elijah, he had a special place, didn't he? He had a special access into the heavenlies, a special role in redemptive history. He did, performed miraculous signs. How is Elijah an example for us? Well, I think James anticipates our, our concern because he begins by saying Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a human being, just like you and I are. He put his pants on one leg at a time, so to speak. Elijah was not some sort of super saint. In fact, if you look at Elijah's story in Kings, you see these times when he was scared to death. He was driven by fear. He was filled with doubt. Can we relate to that? But Elijah prayed with the fervency of faith that believed God. And God acted. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to see here what he has done in giving us access to the throne of grace. We are to pray in faith, believing that God exists. We know that through faith. Believing that He is able. Believing that He hears and answers our prayer in keeping with His perfect purpose. And now James closes his letter. And he closes his letter with the pastoral heart that prompted him to write it in the first place. Verse 19. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
You see what James is doing? He's told us as an apostle that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And you do not have that salvation unless your faith is in Jesus Christ as the only provision of God. You're not saved because you're religious. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So you see what James is saying after he's written all this from the mouth of God. He's saying this, truth matters. Truth matters. And what that means is that if someone wanders from the truth, that means they have abandoned God's only means of salvation. And James says that if you pursue this wanderer and bring them back, you have rescued them from eternal death and the penalty of their sins that they will surely face before the judgment seat of God apart from Jesus Christ. You notice here, it's not just the elders who have the job of pursuing. The elders do have a job of pursuing. Elders are shepherds. Shepherd, shepherds seek the lost. They run after those who are straying. They seek to deliver those who are entrapped in sin and try to bring them back to the fold. But it's not just the elders. It's all of us. You notice what James says, my brothers. He's not just speaking to the elders. He's speaking to all of us who have this job of pursuing. Now, how do you pursue those straying from the truth? Pretty basic, I think. Maybe calls, notes, visits. But the place to start, the place to start in going after those who are wandering is at the throne of grace. The place to start is prayer. Because not only are we to pursue the wanderer for God, we're to pursue God for the wanderer. All right. James closes his letter by teaching us about prayer. And he makes it clear that prayer is the voice of faith. Crying out to the God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns for us. Let's pray. Merciful and mighty Father in heaven, we ask that you would pour out upon us a spirit of grace and supplication. Make us a people of prayer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.